0: Welcome to your Found Family Podcast, where we don't just have a heart-to-heart, we connect soul-to-soul. I'm your host Lizzie, a certified coaching practitioner who found family outside of blood family. In our found family, you are accepted and assured that you are not alone. Subscribe and tune in for educational and empowering soul chats with women from all over the world, talking about well-being, personal growth and development, and mental and emotional health. Welcome back to another episode of Found Family. I'm really excited to have a very special guest with me today, Jen. We're going to be talking about Bipolar 2. Jen is a mental health blogger, diffusing the tension. She lives with bipolar disorder, anxiety, and chronic fatigue. Outside of mental health advocacy, she is a mom of two little ones and married to her college sweetheart. She is obsessed with true crime and sometimes thinks her husband is concerned he's going to be her first victim. She's also an advocate of homeopathic health solutions when they are applicable. Jen, welcome. I'm so excited and honored to have you here today. Hey, thank you. I'm really
1: excited, too. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. I love that. The part of the bio <laughs> that your husband's concerned
1: <laughs> it's, it's a very common topic in our household and it's not a very popular topic he kind of like rolls his eyes at all that he's not very interested but it's a thing right now <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to say I have never seen any of those like episodes before I would say like my genre of choice is usually like comedy or like um, I love watching Queer Eye and things like that but I am always fascinated to hear like one of my former roommates is very into it as well so we, we kind of had like very similar jokes when I was living with them but I just thought that your intro
1: was really funny so <laughs> yeah and it's, it's it. kind of weird for me being like an empathic sort of person that I would enjoy things like that so much like kind of things with like a way darker element to it but I don't know, that's like how I relax at night and my husband thinks it's super weird, <laughs> but whatever. Finding
0: the balance, like whatever yeah. works for you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Awesome. So um, to start us off, I would love for you to share a little bit more about you and your background and talk to us a little bit about when you um, became a mental health blogger.
1: Okay, so I started having signs of depression When I was maybe like 9 or 10, I was in fourth grade after um, my cousin died unexpectedly, and that really affected our family in a lot of negative ways. Obviously, it was a very public um, thing that was shown on the news nationally and internationally. um, That really affected me. Um, I started to get like more withdrawn in school. I've always been like relatively shy, like this sort of thing is like way outside of my comfort zone, but I was more shy and quiet in school than was normal for me. Um I think p- probably my grades started to slip a little hard. Um to remember a lot back to that time. Um and then as a teen, the depression um kind of exacerbated. Um and then around college, when I went away to college, my last 2 years, so I would have been around like 20. Um I started to exhibit what i now know are classic symptoms of bipolar disorder i was i became a lot more irritable i started having kind of more sleep disturbances in that i was finding i didn't need to sleep as much as i normally did um just other sorts of manic type of behavior and things like that um and fast forward to today i have since um and i still am finding ways to live with the bipolar disorder. And it kind of inspired me to speak more openly about other people because I know it, you know, mental illness is something that's a lot more common than a lot of people might be aware of. Um, I think, you know, the current statistic, usually they say like one in four people or one in five people live with mental illness. And so living with Mm -hmm. it myself, I found myself inspired to speak openly about it, knowing that, you know, it could help even just one person. And so I decided to blog about it because I've always enjoyed writing ever since I was probably, I think I was like in third grade when I wrote first short story for school. And then ever since then, it's just something I've enjoyed. So I decided to blog about it. And um, I find it's a really great relief as somebody like me who is so shy and introverted. You know, you find, and especially someone who is bipolar, you find yourself, you know, you get so many ideas swirling around in your head, and as someone who's an introvert, it can be kind of uncomfortable to get them out verbally. I find um, the written word is kind of an easier medium for me to express myself a lot of the time. Hmm. Yeah,
0: that's great. I I know for me personally, writing has always been like a really big part of my life, and when I was going through a lot of my anxiety as as a young person, which I can relate to um, how your story started at such a young age. Like I started having anxiety and panic attacks at like five, which is so crazy to think now that I'm, you know, 28 to be thinking that like as an eight year old, you know, like 20 years ago I was having like severe panic attacks to the point where I wasn't able to like function properly. I had to, you know, basically stay away from a lot of public things like I I wasn't partaking in a lot of things that my friends were doing because my anxiety was just like so bad that the panic attacks were just like limiting me and in a very similar way you know again like the writing really helped me as well like journaling I had at least four going on at the same time like one was more for like daydreaming and you know things that I was dealing with during the day and then a lot of them were were just journals that I had at night and it was just a way to like it's not a pretty phrase that I use, but, like, word meant, on, like, on paper yeah. and really just use it as, like, my my safe haven in this place where I could just download my thoughts and, like, I knew that that was going to be there for me no matter what, and it really was, like, very comforting. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that your blogging and your writing has, like, really helped you in that way as well. Um, and then I love what you shared about how, um, you know, it sounded like you've been doing a lot of of course research and understanding more about what it was that you have been you know living with and to go through that motion and sort of find out some of these answers for things has it given you comfort knowing like ways that you can um, better manage it and things like that
1: yeah I think I think it helps to do as much research as possible in ways you can manage it sometimes it can be a little daunting, especially at first when you get a diagnosis like bipolar, where, you know, even heading into 2020, there's still, a lot of times it feels like there's still very little um, understanding of what the illness actually can look like for the majority of people that have it. There's still kind of a huge stigma around it. I mean, you hear the word or the phrase bipolar disorder and you think of like a lot of the representation that you see in the media, which... I find, you know, for somebody like me who just lives with it on a day-to-day basis, it's not incredibly accurate, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. But, yes, yeah, so I find the more research you can do about what it actually is and about ways you can manage it is definitely a comfort. hmm
0: Yeah, I, I have found, like, researching to be incredibly helpful myself. And just recently having found out that um, – one of my uncles who took his life when I was in high school that really affected my mom in a very negative way. It was one of her, her younger brothers. I mean, she's gone through her own, you know, things. And, and I have gone to therapy because of my own things, but a lot of it were, were mother daughter, you know, related. And I found out that she has narcissistic personality disorder. And so it was, you know, there are so many incredibly empowering and powerful things that, that, are a result of researching and just learning, as you shared earlier, kind of like, you know, piecing together either symptoms or things that we experience in our day-to-day lives and being able to kind of, you know, form that puzzle. And then with what you shared about breaking the stigma, as someone who doesn't know that much about bipolar disorder and bipolar 2, I want to really use this episode as a way to help, you know, spread awareness and break the stigma. So, diving deeper into um bipolar is there a difference between bipolar and bipolar too yeah and i think it's
1: a distinction that a lot of people who don't live with it might not even be aware exists
0: you know Mm -hmm. like i kind
1: of mentioned a couple minutes ago you hear the phrase bipolar disorder and if you aren't super educated about the different types your mind can immediately jump to like oh that's that celebrity that i just saw a news story about you know like britney 2007 basically Mm. where it's like yeah that can happen but that's not like what bipolar is for everybody that's diagnosed with it Mm -hmm. so the main difference between a bipolar one and bipolar two um from what i understand bipolar one has more pronounced seasons of mania and the mania looks differently. Whereas somebody with bipolar two, like myself, my manic symptoms are not as pronounced. I tend to be more depressed than I am manic. But when I am manic, um, I don't, thankfully, I don't ever engage in like, you know, risky behavior, you know, things like that. Um, I never become like aggressive. It's more just, it presents itself as hypomania, which is like, you know, irritability, anxiety, and things like that. So it's kind of bipolar 2 is, like, I guess you could call it like, a watered-down version of bipolar 1. Hmm. So I think that's okay. important, you know, for people to understand is just because somebody's diagnosed with bipolar, like, there's different types of it and everything. You don't necessarily have to, like, become, like, afraid of that person for any reason, like... Yes, in rare cases, people with bipolar disorder can exhibit violent tendencies, so can, like, everyone else, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's important about breaking the stigma, is there's just, like, normal people living with bipolar disorder. So that's been something that's been kind of important for me to write about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so when did the... I guess, discovery period begin, like, was there something that happened or, like, a symptom that you were most curious about that kind of um, encouraged the, like, knowledge, like, at, at what point did all of that kind of happen?
1: Well, I went away for college for my junior and senior year of college just to, like, a local, you know, university about an hour away, and during that time, I think maybe I was already dating my now husband at the time. I think the stress of being away from him more, being away from my family, it kind of, I started to get kind of like some manic symptoms, like needing a little bit less sleep and things like that, you know, and it's kind of hard when those things come up during a season of life, like college, because it's so easy to attribute things like that to like, oh, well, I'm just like you know, I have a heavy course load and, like, I'm just, like, staying up and powering through to, like, you know, pass the exam I'm studying for, like, to finish this paper. But I think it's really important to be aware of when you are going through things like that and when it becomes not a normal thing. Um, I started in my early 20s and then, let's see, how old was I? When I was about 22 or 23, I started to know well, I shouldn't say started to notice because I think at the time I I didn't have the perception that I was actually doing this, um, but I started to like sabotage a lot of personal relationships that I had unintentionally. I started to just kind of find myself wherever potential drama existed, and it hurt um, a few, quite a few relationships with people that I was really close with for a long time. Which luckily I have good relationships with them now. But at the time, uh, that was a really it's a really painful experience, and I think that's the hard part about something with about something like bipolar disorder is that it's absolutely something you know you can live with, you can manage the symptoms. But I think the hardest part isn't always going through those symptoms at the time; it's getting better for whatever length of time you can be stable for. and Then looking back to all like the bad crap that you did, and you're like. Oh, I acted mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of dealing with like the guilt and the shame that you feel as a result of that. Mm.
0: Yeah, and and just as a whole, I mean, guilt and shame are definitely two things that's like you know the that light the fire and and just escalate things. Having you know dealt with anxiety and and dealing with living with you know obsessive compulsive disorder, those two things. like fuel the fire so I I hear you on that and it it really does, it does escalate a lot of things. And so for someone who is listening right now who is either, you know, kind of wondering what some of the symptoms are or, you know, wondering whether or not they have been living with this and, and understanding what they can do and like what steps they could take next. What can you share with them? I would
1: say just from my own experience, certain symptoms that I would look out for, you know, a lot of these can apply to just normal depression as well would be sort of a marked change in your sleep patterns, whether it be you needing to sleep a lot more than is normal, or you need finding yourself needing to sleep a lot less than is normal for you. So, I mean, everyone kind of has like their baseline as far as that goes. So, if you find yourself tending toward one extreme or the other, I think that can be symptomatic of something. Um, When I'm not stable, it's kind of random, but I find myself having a lot of, like, digestive issues, which you – I'm not sure if you experience that with anxiety, but it can be kind of the same for anxiety as well, like a lot of, like, stomach aches, needing to go to the Mm. bathroom all the time, you know, feeling queasy, things like that. Um, Another thing I would say with bipolar disorder is, like I said, my – mania presents itself as irritability so I find myself like very easily set off by like the littlest thing which is like and I'm not talking like off the wall stuff like you know losing your job or whatever but just like little life things that shouldn't lead to a meltdown lead to Mm. a meltdown like you know my kids are like being a little bad for a minute or like the internet's not working like just normal adult stuff leads to kind of pronounced episodes of irritability.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you're in those moments of irritability, are there things that help to manage it or um, has, you know, different types of medications helped for you? Like what, what sorts of things um, are, are helpful?
1: I think um, for people with bipolar disorder, I think the main thing is really getting yourself on a good medication. And I mean, there's, you know, even today, there's still such a stigma associated with that. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
1: you know, medication has side effects and then, you know, people, I guess, tend to look at people that have to take medication every day a little differently, but really, I mean, you probably could live with bipolar disorder without taking medication, but I think it would be really challenging. And Mm -hmm. I think it kind of, unnecessarily complicates the illness you know Mm -hmm. there are medications out there that can make you feel a lot better um so i would say definitely getting yourself on a good medication getting yourself into a good therapist that you can build a really good relationship with Mm. as well as different coping strategies like for me what helps me when i find myself getting into that irritable phase is to just call in for backup basically like if my husband's home just say like you know, I need to just go be in a quiet room for, like, five minutes or, you know, whatever. Like, both my mother-in-law and mother both live nearby, luckily. So if I can, you know, bring the kids to their house to play or, like, maybe one of them can help with the kids so they can kind of, like, decompress for a hot minute, I find that that really helps, too. Mhm.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I, I agree with you in regards to like the medication. I mean, there's so many things that you just shared that I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a thought and a comment. <laughs> like, so happy that you, you shared all of that and, and thank you so much. And yeah, I mean, with, with the medication, for example, it's like there definitely is a stigma about like, oh, you know, people who take medications and this and that. And, and I, I I agree that there are times where it really is needed. And, you know, me personally, living with obsessive-compulsive disorder, there was a point in time where my anxiety was at its absolute highest. And similar to what I was sharing before about, you know, not being able to really function day-to-day, like, as a young person, there was a point in time when I graduated college where I couldn't even go to my job. Like, I was having panic attacks on the road. I was having panic attacks at work. And they are debilitating. I couldn't breathe or talk. And I had to go to the doctor and get Xanax. And at one point, the dosage went from like 0.2 to like 0.5. And then it, I had to literally take 1.0, like milligrams or however it is that it's calculated. But they had to keep increasing it because they were so bad that I, I like couldn't breathe. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: the side effects of that didn't make me feel all that great because you feel really drowsy, you feel very tired. Um, I remember at one point I, I was so tired and drowsy from the medication that, like, I went into my car downstairs, like, in the garage and took a nap and fell asleep for, like, 20 minutes and disappeared. But that was just kind of what I had to live with. And I found that it was better to feel drowsy than to, like, be, you know, at the peak of a panic attack. And so, yeah. you know, I learned how and when to use them because it wasn't something that I, I took every day, but I slowly weaned myself off of them because again, similar to what you just shared, like finding a really great therapist, having other like really healthy coping mechanisms, like really, really um, helped me to manage the anxiety. Um, so again, you know, for, for everyone listening, if medication is something that is needed, even if it's for like the temporary, don't be afraid. Accept it, don't be afraid to, to say yes to it because it might help in the you know, even in the interim, as, as these other things are kind of falling into place.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think one other piece of advice that I would have for somebody who's going through bipolar disorder, or maybe they think they have it or something, is that something that you are going to need to do at some point is to learn to. Um, give yourself a little grace and to learn to be okay with having to sometimes constantly apologize mm. to people because, you know, especially, um, you know, being in a marriage or long-term ro- romantic partnership with somebody as someone who lives with bipolar disorder, I, I have to apologize a lot to my husband. I have to apologize a lot to my kids and just kind of be able to explain the things that are going on with me at any given time and say like, you know, the way that I'm acting is not a reflection on you or the way I feel about you. It's the way that my brain chemistry is and I'm sorry it's the way I just spoke to you or the way I just acted was hurtful. Because it can be hard to apologize. It takes a lot of humility to live with an illness like this. You have to kind of knock yourself off of whatever pedestal that your mania puts you on and Mm. you have to be very willing to be
0: vulnerable and apologize quite often. Mm. And I would love to talk more about your family and how they help support you as you've shared, you know, in our talk about your kids and your husband and and in your intro um, family definitely seems to be a really big, important piece and part of your life. And so can you share with us how your family does help to support you living with bipolar disorder and, and how it sort of impacted your family?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, starting, I guess, just with, you know, I mentioned kind of getting a lot of help from my mother and my mother-in-law. They both live nearby. So I'm pretty often, and neither of them, my mom's retired and um, my mother-in-law is a homemaker. And so they're, it's usually easy to get like one of them, just at least you know be able to help with them for like an hour which is like so appreciated i mean i could never thank them enough for all the help mm. that they give me it's it's really great even you know if i go over there too and just like let the kids like run around with them for like an hour It's that helps me be able to manage a lot of the anxiety and the fatigue and the irritability um and then as far as my husband he's just like a saint of a man you know he he doesn't always understand a lot of the way that I act, but I think we've been together long enough. We've been together for almost 15 years and he's, he's really come a long way as far as his level of understanding for my illness. And just knowing that I am a sick person. I'm not someone who acts or speaks a certain way to seek attention. It's not like, you know, this thing that I'm just like making up for whatever reason he he understands that it is a, le- a very legitimate illness. Um,
0: and so I think that helps him as far as like
1: being patient with me and everything.
0: Mhm. And, and it seems like one of the greatest common denominators for all of the things that you shared seems to be communication. And I really want to talk about communication for a second, because I think that, you know, it, it's such an important thing to have in as you shared like whether someone is in a romantic relationship or even with friends with coworkers just any type of human connection with anyone in our lives communication is definitely one of the most important things because i know that for me personally again like you know i i live with my boyfriend and he knows about you know my obsessive compulsive disorder and knows about my anxiety. I've told him everything, you know, sometimes I share too much and I have some family members who are a little bit judgmental about how much I do share with him. But I have found that when we first met and we built our foundation with openness, honesty, vulnerability, and just like sharing things, it has really been the the cement, you know, that that we've been able to sort of build upon. And any time I'm going through something or if, you know, I I don't typically like when people are, like, around me or touching me or, like, talking to me when I'm in the middle of a panic attack. Um, but there was one time where I, where I did have a panic attack when he was not around, and he was, like, the first person I wanted to call. So he knows, like, when I experience them. Um, and just, again, like, having the open communication about having, like – apologizing for when, when there are times where I, I do feel like, Oh my God, I don't want this to affect like our trip or something like that. Yeah. But I've also found that sometimes when I say sorry too much, it makes me feel worse. So I've tried to find like the balance, but at the end of the day, like the more open that I can be in just communicating how I'm feeling with him, it just makes me feel better. Cause part of what like, the obsessive compulsive disorder is like a subset, which is ROCD which is relationship obsessive compulsive disorder. So there's like a whole other side of like OCD that I know I need to work on. And, you know, there are times where like, I've like had intrusive thoughts about things and like confess them to him, which I recognize are compulsions. However, I try to like, again, be as open and honest as possible. But then when I'm like overly apologetic, it makes me feel worse. So I try to just be like, hey, listen, here's how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. I just want you to know. And it, it helps to calm the anxiety, which, like, helps all around with, like, the ROCD, with any other type of, like, anxiety that I may be having. So it really is this, like, beautiful dance that I think, from what I'm hearing from you, is that, like, you have this kind of um, connection with your husband and with your children and to be able to really just, like, communicate how you're feeling and what you're you know how you're doing with them and thankfully you know again we we are both like very lucky and blessed to have like people in our lives who are very patient and understanding because in the same way I I'm like oh my boyfriend is a saint like I'm so grateful for like how open and understanding he is about everything because I I wouldn't be able to like I, I don't know what I would be able to do if I couldn't talk to him about how I'm feeling. Like that I wouldn't be able to be in a relationship, you know? So it just goes to show that for for those of us who are living with a mental illness and who are living with um with these kinds of, you know, with with this, like no matter what, what it is under under like the mental illness like categories, is like finding a partner who is really understanding is absolutely crucial for, you know, our well being and our recovery and just you know are like in my case anyway like my sanity
1: <laughs> yeah and you sharing that kind of made me think of a couple important things I want to bring up the oh, yeah. first being like you know you are talking about how important communication is one of the best pieces of advice I could give to somebody who has bipolar disorder thinks they might have it whatever the case is is you have to become really adept at self identifying. Mm. It can be difficult sometimes. You can get, especially when you are manic or hypomanic, you can kind of lose yourself in that and lose sight of the way you're acting. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to take a step back and recognize the way that you're acting, what kind of symptoms are presenting. Because, I mean, nobody else can make you better but you, essentially. That's something mm-hmm. that I really strongly believe in. You have to. You have to know when you're not doing well, because if you never recognize when you're not doing well, you probably will never be well. Mm-hmm. And that's just something I've discovered to be true for me. Um, And then as far as what you mentioned about, you know, sometimes people not always being understanding, Um, I read this book maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. It wasn't that long after my diagnosis with bipolar called The Four Agreements. I don't know if you've ever read that. I
0: read that book oh a my few gosh. years
1: ago. And oh, my gosh. Com- to be completely honest, I don't remember what all of them were because my depression makes my brain really foggy. But the one that always sticks out to me and that I took so much away is Don't Take It Personally. Wow. So when you're not stable and you're not doing well, you are going to find that your relationships suffer. You're going to have friends who just, like, ghost you for a while until you better, until you're better. what you have to understand about that is is like the way that they react to your illness is probably saying more about them than it's saying about you and your illness. And so you have to kind of learn to like just keep yourself distanced from other people's negative emotions. Say like, you know, that's how they're reacting. I'm sorry that they're reacting that way, but I can't take that to heart so much that it's becoming like a hindrance. For you and becoming stable, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. The other thing I was gonna say is that um now I don't remember. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. My
0: my brain. Oh no, that's body. okay.
1: If I think I, of it, I'll let you know.
0: <laughs> of course. Oh my gosh! And feel free, to just like when you remember, jump in because I know Absolutely. that. To be honest, like that was something that yeah i I also like really struggle. like my memory is is not good, and that's it's so bad. i I always used to think there was something like seriously wrong with me. I'm like, why do I not remember certain things? Why am I why is my brain so foggy too? And the more research that I'm doing and having talked with my therapist and everything like that, like is really enlightening because I have read certain things about how I mean obviously when when someone is like very anxious, even if they're not suffering from like, anxiety you know disorders and and have like a a really severe case of anxiety anytime that you're anxious about something you're so hyper focused on that thing that other things are just foggy around you like I cannot tell you how many times I have gone through days and sometimes weeks like on total autopilot and I'm I'm present physically but mentally I'm like somewhere else and especially when the ROCD like revs up and like So this like ugly face, like there are times where I I truly don't remember anything other than just the negative self-talk. And so I love what you shared about like just the self-awareness. That's really something that I'm really passionate about and something that I'm focusing my Twitter account like very specifically is that like for narcissistic abuse recovery and for OCD recovery, self-awareness has been like the cornerstone of my recovery because the more that I'm, giving myself power to choose the power to speak my, my truth. You know, I felt like my whole life, I didn't have that space to like be open and vulnerable and like talk about things like this. So the more that I'm cracking myself open and I've already been like a very open person, like I'm very extroverted. I like love talking. I, again, I overshare a lot of things with a lot of people. And then the ones that I feel the closest to, I obviously share even more with, but now I've just reached this like whole new level of like self- awareness and reflection, and I do read a lot as well, so like that book that you referenced, like that along with several others I have read and they've really helped me in my recovery. I almost want to challenge our listeners to read that book after listening to this podcast because it is a great book, like five stars out of five like it is it I remember it being extremely eye opening and that was probably one of the first books that I started reading on my like recovery journey so yeah
1: same with me and I think um
0: I think it can apply
1: to a lot of people's situations even if you aren't necessary necessarily living with like a debilitating mental illness or whatever the case is. I mean, even if you're just somebody where, like, you have a really stressful job and you don't always, like, get along with your boss, your coworkers, I mean, I think it can apply to a lot of different people in different walks of life. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to include the link to that in the description because I really want to encourage everyone to listen, to read it. and. Truth be told, I'm going to reread it now that you're mentioning it, because I, I also don't really remember, like, all the different points. I'm looking at my library here, and I'm like, where is it? <gasps> yeah, here it is. Oh, my goodness. So that
1: everything. Talking about the self-awareness actually made me think of the third thing I was going to say a, a few minutes ago. Oh, great. You know, we're talking about self-awareness, and I think you would kind of mention, like, sometimes you find yourself apologizing too much and how that can present problems as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And it
1: kind of made me think of kind of like a tough little truth nugget that my husband has dropped on me a lot is that, you know, like I mentioned, it is important to learn to be able to apologize when you live with something like bipolar, because you are going to do a lot of crap that is, you know, embarrassing and hurtful um, to other people and to yourself. And, but something that my husband has remarked on from time to time that it hurts to hear it at the time when he says it. But when you have that self-awareness and you can sit back on and reflect on it, you find that it's very helpful. He says, that's fine, but you can't just apologize and then mm. keep doing the same crap you always do. So like when you hear something like that, you're like, ouch, you know, that kind of things mm. like, or whatever. But when you sit and think about that, I think, That really brings up something that's important about bipolar disorder is you do have to be good about apologizing and nurturing any relationships that you find yourself damaging but then you also have to be able to look at that situation and use that as a jumping off point for taking action to make yourself well and so I think that's something that I would want anyone listening to this to know is like you have to just do you have to do the hard work and it is hard but you can't I do agree with him, a sense of, like, you can't just constantly apologize, but then keep doing the same things you've been
0: doing. You have to use that
1: as an excuse
0: to get better and to help mm. yourself. Wow, Jen, I got, like, goosebumps. That was incredible. Oh, my goodness. I 100%. I will tell him he's a, a modern-day Socrates. I'm sure his people oh. will enjoy it. That. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, my gosh. We'll have a part two conversation and we'll bring him on and be like, Oh, I'm sure he'll he'll have a lot to say about the past 15 years with me. It's so crazy too that like, so I mean, my boyfriend does not have like obsessive compulsive disorder. And there were, there was like one time where I asked him a question, like when you lock the door before you leave, do you ever doubt whether or not you actually locked the door? Do you ever feel like this compulsion, like this need to go back and like double check door? And he responded in like the most simplest way. I think I have a podcast episode that I shared about this. It was like his answer was just no, I don't because I trust myself. And it was such a simple mm-hmm. like response that for someone who suffers with OCD, it's like obsessive compulsive disorder is in and of itself like a self-doubt, you know, yeah. like mental illness. And it really does show that you know, for your husband and my boyfriend and, you know, people who have, like, you know, as you, as you shared, like, a really stressful job and it makes them depressed and they're able to manage and move forward or, like, who aren't living with, like, a mental illness, they can look at something and really just kind of bring an awareness to, like, a different perspective. Like, it's, it's a mindset shift. And that's why what you just shared about his, you know comment which I agree like there are times where my boyfriend will say things as well like kind of bring things to my attention and in the moment I'm like okay ouch but also like sit you're right (laughs) you know like I've had a lot of those moments and I really honor them I really do because it really is helping me to evolve and to move forward and cope and to manage and to recover and as you shared it's like with all of these things there really is a point in time where in in Parallel with self-awareness, being able to recognize that in order to get better, there are going to be times where we do need to do the hard work and take action items to, you know, to, like, move forward. Like, that, that is such a powerful lesson right there because, you know, even taking something like working out, for example, you know, I started my fitness journey about a year and a half ago, and there are times where I'm like, this sucks, I'm tired, I want to sit down and watch TV, I had a long day at work, or, like, I don't see results on the scale, blah, blah, blah. But I've been doing it for a year and a half now. And like, I have physical photo proof of like what my work has shown. Like there is literally ROI <laughs> yeah on the time that I have invested. And even on the days where I'm like, I don't think this, this workout is going to make any difference whatsoever. It just goes to show that like every single thing counts. So like every single time, we feel like the need to apologize or we feel like, yes, you know, apologize. And and again, to your point, like for people who are living with bipolar and bipolar too, like apologize and then like take that next step. You know, I think that that's a really important lesson for just all of us. I'm so grateful that you shared that. And I really honor your self-awareness and your um, like ability to take what he said and, use the four agreements and like not take it personally and use it to like continue growing. I mean, that is, that's really beautiful. So I, I celebrate you and your journey and your strength and your commitment to yourself. It's really very, very beautiful. And, and I'm so grateful that you're using that as a way to empower everyone who's listening right now. Phil oh, I appreciate that. I think It's important to
1: remember that when you have something like depression or something like bipolar disorder, it tends to be a really selfish illness and it kind of unintentionally makes you, you know, you just, you almost like become obsessed with your illness in a way and you forget sometimes that there are people like human beings living outside of your little depression bubble or bipolar disorder bubble And that the things you do and say and the way that your illness makes you, whether it's intentional or not, you know, it affects them. And I think that's one of the most important steps to really um, entering a period of stability is being able, you know, like we said, to be self-aware and just to use all these kind of painful stepping stones as opportunities to learn and to grow. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Could not agree more. I I I want to leave with that because it was just like so powerful. I'm like yes, 100 percent everything that you just said. Yes. <laughs> so as we are um coming to sort of the last questions for um for this episode. I mean, I I love like I, I could keep talking about all this for forever because it's just it really is such an incredible topic. And again, I I feel so um enlightened learning more about, about bipolar and about bipolar too. And again, like just wanting to continue spreading awareness to help break the stigma. Um, so as I shared at the beginning, you know, the, the mission of this podcast is to educate and empower women who are living with mental illness, become more resilient, and to highlight on the resilience of women like you who, you know, again, despite living with, with a mental illness, you are, Strong and confident, and you know, empowering, and you are on your journey. And and we, again, honor you in your journey. How do you overcome the challenges living day to day? That I know we've kind of talked about, but is there something that you kind of want to share with our listeners um, as like a, a takeaway that there is hope and and what what they can do like. Take action today. In addition to getting the, the, going on Amazon and buying this book, yeah. <laughs> what are other things that can, like, you know, help them overcome? I think one takeaway that I can offer that somebody could start
1: working on, like, right this second would be, and this isn't always a very popular opinion. I get flack for this, depending on which mental health community I'm talking about this in. Um, but I really think mindset is really important when you're trying to recover from a mental illness and something – that I've had to learn over the years is um, to kind of um, change the way that I refer to myself and think about myself. So, as you may have noticed, you know, as we've been talking, I pretty much will never, ever say I am bipolar. I choose to say I live with bipolar or I have bipolar disorder. Mm. Because I think when you identify yourself that way, when you say I am depressed or, oh, I'm, you know, bipolar, it it really affects the way that you see yourself in a lot of other aspects of life and I don't think that that's a burden that people who are mentally ill have to necessarily live with I think you can have that illness but still be free to think about all the other great things about yourself like I am also a mom I'm also a wife I also like true crime probably more <laughs> it's healthy for me you know <laughs> I like porny kids movies you know I'm not I'm not bipolar disorder that's just an illness that I happen to have and Mm. I think that when people can realize that they're a complete person outside of their illness um, I think that's something that can be really beneficial could not
0: agree more absolutely 100% agree and and that's I have also changed my vocabulary to reflect the same, you know, like I, instead of saying like, I am an anxious person or I, yeah, I guess you couldn't say like, I am obsessive. Well, I guess, yeah, you can. I am obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, obsessive compulsive. Um, I have changed my vocabulary and the way that I see myself as well. And now say, you know, I experience anxiety and I am, you know, a girlfriend and a wonderful person and a podcaster and a... Insert, you know, really empowering, encouraging things. Living with obsessive compulsive disorder, and I agree with you that, as you just shared, you know, I, I do think that depending on the audience, like, I'm not sure how, like, the word mindset, you know, is is received. I I'm on sort of the same kind of wavelength as you that I really do believe wholeheartedly in in mindset and I have seen this be true in my life and in my recovery. And as I am studying to become a life coach, I'm learning more about anxiety and depression, for example, and how the mind also contributes to playing tricks on us. Sometimes it doesn't know the difference between what's what's real and what's not. And so a lot of the time we can literally turn like a switch and become depressed and, for those who know Tony Robbins and you know have seen like some of his intervention coaching, he has literally shown that there is also like sometimes a switch for going the opposite way. And for yeah. someone who's living with mental illness, you know, of course there is like chemical balances and things that are that are factors. I just personally feel that, you know, with with mindset shifting, it's certainly looking at ourselves with more love and compassion, and it's helping to, you know, like with the recovery, you know, so that it's, it's also something that's happening, like recovery can happen faster or more seamlessly or, you know, whatever. And, and again, these are things that I personally have found to be true in in my personal life. So I'm also happy to hear your experience with mindset, because I think that that's also just been, like, a really big question mark in my brain is, like, okay, so I'm learning more about psychology and, like, you know, neuroscience and, and understanding, like, the connections in the brain, how do others think of this? And so it's, it is interesting to hear, like, your, your personal experience as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, the reason a lot of people, they don't really like the word mindset is because when somebody gives them advice like that, it makes them feel attacked. Like, they feel they feel like it's almost implying that like, oh, well, if I was just more positive, like I wouldn't have this illness. I think what people need to understand is that, like in my situation, for instance, there is nothing that I will ever be able to do with the technology and resources currently available to not have bipolar disorder. Like this is something that I'm going to have the rest of my life. But what people need to understand is that Science is proving more and more recently that your brain is very malleable and you can use it like clay to basically shape mm-hmm. it into whatever you need to do to make yourself well because your brain can learn and it can adapt. And even if you have something like bipolar or any other debilitating mental illness, you can teach it um, to kind of adopt more positive thought patterns and things like that. It is it is possible to learn things like that, even, you know, no matter how old you are, no matter Mm -hmm. how bad your mental illness is, it is possible. It is.
0: And that is a great way to end (laughs) our soul stat. It is possible. Recovery is possible. Mindset of thing is possible. There is hope. And that is so beautiful. And I, I am just pouring out good vibes and love to everyone who is listening. You are not alone. You are loved recovery is possible for you too. I hope that this episode was very helpful. I know that it was very helpful for me as well and very informative. And I'm so grateful, Jen, again, Um, I'm going to have links to Jen's website and all of the social media platforms. So please be sure to go and check Jen out. She is absolutely amazing. Go show her some love. Jen, where are other places that we can find you to um, show you love and support online?
1: So I have my blog, which is just um, DiffusingTheTension.com. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Pinterest. And I'm on Twitter, although my Twitter handle is not diffusing tension. It's JVan3610, which is, like, it used to be my personal Twitter, and I never just, like, changed it to be, like, my brand's blog name. Um, I've just been too lazy to change it for some reason. But that's all right. <laughs> if someone... You know most social media platforms happy to follow people back and happy to help encourage them in whatever way they might need
0: that oh you're so sweet thank you
1: (laughs) yeah no problem thank you so much
0: for having me of course thank you again so much so grateful thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode be sure to hit that subscribe button and tune in next week for a new topic. To help spread the good vibes, please share this episode with friends and family. Or if you share on social, be sure to tag me at Coach Lizzie.